you sweets, it is time for Take 82. We are going through our IMDb 250 Zyke. It is it. It is time. It is Star Wars. We are talking original trilogy. We have never, we haven't reviewed the original trilogy. So that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be giving you a ton of sweet movie morsels, reviewing A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. And without further ado, let's go to a galaxy far, far away. Oh my goodness, it is your boy, the Sweet Peaks, and that music, it, that seriously, nothing hits harder than that theme from Star Wars. Do you, do you agree, TC? It, yes or no? It just, it just riles up all the memories it, you know, it's it's a battle cry. <laughs> it's it's amazing. <laughs> oh, I I dude. And you know what's so crazy is is as we start off with the beginning of how Star Wars was made, George Lucas as, to give us a, even a little bit of a preface as we start out, you know, you get all these huge, like the MCU is huge, tons of movies, Lord of the Rings, huge franchises. But what sets, but what I think elevates Star Wars above them is it's just all based off of this dude's idea from George Lucas that he threw into movies and has worked so well. Those movies of the MCU and Lord of the Rings at least have source material that they could build on. They are great movies, great franchises. Lord of the Rings, probably the greatest trilogy made of all time. Yeah, but there's something about Star Wars where it's you have no idea. You can't go to any other source to try and find what's going to happen. It's all so new. And, and that... Yeah. is the magic of it for me. Yeah, I agree 100%. And the fact that it was just an idea, family soap opera in the galaxy mm -hmm. far, far away, it, yep. it's amazing how much source material has come from this idea. I mean, you have, oh you have Disney Disneyland has now Star Wars land, as we, mm -hmm. as we talked about uh, on previous yeah. takes. So I'm really excited to talk about the original trilogy. We have, we've talked about it, of course, in our Rise of Skywalker review, and I think Take 2, Attack of the Wookiee, <laughs> <laughs> we reviewed it. Han Solo. So we've given our Star Wars ranking on this pod several times. However, original trilogy, it, deserve, it doesn't deserve more love, but it, it, it deserves more love and attention, especially on this day of May the 4th. Uh, exactly. Now, what we want to set up for everyone is to understand that as George was coming into his own, he was born in Modesto, California, and as he grew up, he loved watching serials on TV. You know, you had like Flash Gordon, I, I don't know, whatever the older generation likes to watch. They didn't have Game of Thrones, so I can say, so I don't know what they watched. <laughs> but he ended up going to film school at, U at um, University of Southern California, USC. And his first film that he made was called THX 1138. Now, what was so interesting about this movie was people were already able to see that George had an eye for the technical side of film. Like, it, he was trying to push boundaries. And actually, as George Lucas was coming up, he was in school and coming up at the same time with, like, little filmmakers called, you know, Francis Ford Coppola. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. Brian De Palma, Martin Scorsese. Him and Francis Ford Coppola were actually friends. And the movie landscape, right as they're graduating from college, is home video did not exist or hardly existed. 
merchandise almost didn't exist. And all of the movie studios that had started, such as Warner Bros., um, Metro Goldwyn Meyer, all these bigger studios were started by families and were now being sold to corporations. And those corporations didn't know how to make movies, so they were basically going to marketing companies and saying, what do people like? And just following that blueprint of relying solely on the, you know, the peanut gallery. So they started to go and find directors who were up and coming so that they could bring the magic back to movies. Scorsese, De Palma, Coppola, and George Lucas. So, as him and Ford Coppola had both graduated, they decided to form a production company called American Zoetrope in 1969, where they attempted to make his move, make George's movie from college called THX 1138, which in the in the process ended up bankrupting the company, and him and Francis Ford Coppola were just like kind of out of luck. So George decided that he'd go and form his own company called Lucasfilm Limited and try to make his movie American Graffiti. Someone, Coppola actually said, is there any way that you can make a comedy or make a movie that's not science fiction or not weird? So <laughs> he, was, he took the challenge. He was born to make sci-fi, baby. And, and God bless George Lucas for that. Have you seen American Graffiti? I never have. Yeah. No, have you seen no, it? No, I haven't seen it. I have not. It's... It is interesting because, as we found out, um, while he was trying to make American Graffiti with the help of his friend Gary Kurtz, all during this process, he was talking about making a space opera inspired by those serials that he loved watching growing up. But at the time, sci-fi did not make a lot of money. 2001 A Space Odyssey was the highest grossing sci-fi film at the time in 1971, but it only grossed like $24 million, which wasn't a huge return. It was good, but not great. Sure, sure. So he pitched Star Wars to a bunch of big companies who rejected him time after time until he went to a small production company called 20th Century Fox and pitched the idea to Alan Ladd Jr., who loved the idea for Star Wars. So he gave him the money to produce American Graffiti and also promised to help him produce Star Wars. And now, and I want to I want to interject here cuz Alan mm-hmm. Ladd, everybody remember that name. This mm-hmm. guy is the unsung hero for Star Wars. What I think is so crazy is all of these facts we got from various documentaries and sources online to really paint the picture of how hard it was to get this because right now it's like, oh, it's Star Wars. Of course, everyone would have thrown money at him, but but no, no one did. People were very reluctant because it was just so out there, and yeah. and the technicality behind Star Wars with the special effects and the lighting and the sound effects at the time were insanely difficult. It was just ahead of its time. Yeah. And so the fact I mean, that it's where it is now is it's amazing. Like the the, the story behind Star Wars is phenomenal, and like reading this. And all these facts, it's it's crazy. So we're trying to bring this documentary and some of these sources that we've read. Uh, Keeks actually watched this documentary and wrote this all up, and we've added to it. It's crazy. So we're trying to bring that to you, all you sweets to help you understand the bulk of Star Wars because and, we were born with it. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Well, well, especially what's so us. crazy is American Graffiti, when they went to go help Lucas develop it and and release American Graffiti, it ended up being the highest grossing movie of 1971. So that really helped George kind of get his foot all the way through the door. And 20th Century Fox could say, okay, well, 
George Lucas is competent. He's made a big movie. Let's let's invest some money into Star Wars. Um, Star Wars went through a ton of different phases of ideas. At one point, the MacGuffin was going to be a kyber crystal <laughs> that Luke and Han and the gang were going to try and find, which ended up being a source for the power of the lightsabers that you learn later on in the movie. Yeah. So he, you'll see he takes a lot of these ideas. And a quick little movie morsel regarding MacGuffins. Yeah. For those that don't know what a MacGuffin is... Essentially, all it is is an object or device in a movie or in a book, of course, that serves merely just as a trigger for the plot. Yeah. So, kyber crystals. Love Perfect. that. I didn't know that. That's interesting about, I know. about yeah, the that kyber was... crystals. And so, so what George ended up doing is he, he had all these ideas, but just on paper, they didn't make a lot of sense because the dialogue, actually, Mark Hamill, he, he talked about his first reading for the script. He's like, it didn't make any sense. No one talked like how his script was written. So Lucas ended up hiring a Boeing, um, I think he was a Boeing um, architect and artist, Ralph McQuarrie, who many of you have probably heard of who he is, to design some scenes for Star Wars to give the studios the idea of what George wanted to do and what his vision was. Now, these drawings were pivotal in helping George get the funding for Star Wars, and 20th Century Fox loved him so much, Alan Ladd Jr., especially pushing to get it made because he saw George's potential. So, 20th Century Fox gave him $8 million to produce Star Wars. Now, as TC had mentioned, in order to bring the movie to life, they needed to push the boundaries of special effects. So, George Lucas ended up finding the company called Industrial Light and Magic. We will refer to it to ILM going forward. And it was a special it was it was unprecedented because special effects companies were generally just a part of the studios and it was a handful of people and normally they were laid off. It just no one was thinking so much with special effects. And so everyone who got to work with them really got to get their hands in, uh, kind of physically and and like uh like educationally dirty because they had to generate the motion tracking of the cameras and build the microprocessors to tr- use motion tracking from scratch in order to make some of the um some of the effects for the movie. Yeah, it's crazy. It's have you seen have you seen like how they just put that size so small and they have just, you know, basically action figures essentially and mm-hmm. it's crazy. All the miniatures all the, they yeah, use, all the miniatures and whatnot. The um the Death Star was originally going to be like a silver ball kind of, but Bullet the lighting made, made it look, oh, dude. <laughs> to imagine, <laughs> but we wouldn't we wouldn't, know any, made it, we, we wouldn't know any different though. We'd be like, oh cool, oh, no. the silver ball is the Death Star. <laughs> and I mean, hindsight honestly is twenty twenty, especially now when like them looking back, they're like, yeah, we're really glad because they just ended up picking that kind of old feather grade gray, and it helps with the um the scale because if you have all the light reflecting off of the silver ball it's just going to seem disproportional in the movie so the gray was a great choice after george had set up ilm he's gotten the funding it was now time for him to start casting his movie which at the same time he was casting for star wars brian de palma was casting for carrie so they interviewed a bunch of the same people in fact um uh oh my gosh what is his name why can't I think of his name? Kurt Russell was one of the people who auditioned for um, Han Solo. Han Solo. Uh, Burt Reynolds, I believe, did too. Wow! Imagine because Bert. George. Dude, well, the 
crazy thing is, at the time, so Harrison Ford was in American Graffiti, and George wanted relatively unknowns to be in Star Wars. So George was just having Harrison Ford help them read the lines. He wasn't even considering Harrison Ford for Han Solo. Yeah. But which eventually he was like, yeah, you know, we'll we'll go with. But it was interesting because Coppola, his good friend, advised him not to use unknowns. Mm-hmm. So because he had made a little movie called The Godfather, and you know, yeah, yeah, I brought on some pretty heavy hitters <laughs> with 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 making The Godfather with like all trained actors. Sure, but George used unknowns except for when he hired Alec Guinness, who actually, I didn't know this, Sweet Movie Morsel, he won an Academy Award for his role on Bridge on the River Kwai for Best Actor. So his Alec Guinness's role in the making of Star Wars is going to be so important as Tanner goes into the shooting and the production because, honestly, I, I reading about production, it makes it even more shocking that, that George just didn't give up on this idea. That's how passionate he was about Star Wars. Crazy, crazy. So, all right, I'm going to take it away. Keeks, chime in. Love that. So that is the setup of everything of Star Wars coming to be. So um, let me read a little bit about um, a small stage performer. So um, they found Kenny Baker, small stage performer. Then Peter, Peter Mayhew, seven foot three, should have gotten Sean Bradley. Shame. Oh, <laughs> do, so, okay, so it was actually between... Peter Mayhew and David Prowse. David Prowse is actually the guy who's in Darth Vader's costume. He was a bodybuilder, and David Prowse was like, oh, I'd rather be Darth Vader. Ugh, way better choice. Could you imagine Peter Mayhew, seven foot three, being Darth Vader? Wow. It would just seem so clunky. And also, um, Peter Mayhew was an orderly for a radiologist. And then Anthony Daniels was an actor and a professionally trained mime. Oh, perfect. So, I mean, the casting for this was... Perfect down to the stature. Stop. Beat for beat. Please. Yeah. So anyways, so shooting began in North Africa and Tunisia. And the first day, the Sahara received the most rain it had in 50 years. So they just called it a rest day. And then following days encountered tons of problems. So you could imagine the stress that George Lucas was experiencing here. Because obviously, you want your first couple days to go flawlessly. Well, oh, yeah. sorry. It sets the tone. Yes, it does. It really does set the tone. Um, you know, but I, as I always say, I've said it before on this pod. It's not how you start. It's how you finish, baby. Love that. Yeah. Like what you like. Ex- like what you like. Just throwing that in. Another one of our catchphrases. <laughs> Kidding me. Nitty gritty time. <laughs> sweet. So sweet. Uh, and then, for example, R2-D2 couldn't move its head without Kenny Baker inside the robot. Uh, and then. Even if he moved it too much, the wires would strangle him. So even with the problems, Alec Guinness, he was just kind of the core, the root, and was everyone's mentor and stayed in character while in Tunisia. So hats off to Alec Guinness. Um, So once it finished in Tunisia, they were able to film in a studio in London, and the cast was all together to work, and the movie started to come together more flawlessly. Um, And then coming together is true, but no one thought the movie would be good. So it all seemed too weird for everyone. I mean, imagine kind of being in that cast and working on a galaxy soap opera. How would you feel during that time, Keeks? Well, if it's if just you like, were an actor and you were part of this outrageous idea. And now it's just, spe- it's a religion, essentially. Oh, dude, especially now, like when actors have to act in green screen, they talk about how difficult it is. And I can't even imagine, for them, they don't even have a screen. They don't have any sort of like, like, here's where this is going to go. I mean, for example, yeah, uh, 
Carrie Fisher, when she's reacting to Alderaan, Princess Leia is reacting to Alderaan being blown up. She's just like staring at a dude on a production set, waving uh, a circular like mirror telling her, hey, this is where you're supposed to look. Yeah. And that's all she had. And she's still able to create an emote that, you know, her family's gone. Her planet is lost. Sure. And so a lot of, you know, George obviously was experiencing so much stress. Uh, people would try to get him to laugh. <laughs> Wouldn't work. And so, because <laughs> this was his baby, you know, he wanted it to be what it is. And fortunately, it worked. So uh, Sweet Mover Morsel here and the stunt where Luke was flying across the gap with Leia. Uh, the harness had broken. But the, scunt, the stunt coordinator totally lied to him, saying that only had ripped his pants. So they still went across with a broken harness. You know, it makes me think, how many times do stunt coordinators just totally lie and be like, yeah, like, it's fine? I mean, uh, like, it makes me think that, but at the same time, I'm like, it also shows just how far unions have come, <laughs> like, lawsuits. Because back then, like, the 70s, I mean, this was all so new. I don't think they knew what was going to happen and they that the take where he flies across the death star with leia on the rope was a one take wow he did it and there it was that's amazing which thank goodness because could you imagine if he tried to go maybe oh, one more time that'd be crazy. might not even have star wars no that broken harness mark hamill thank you thank you um oh, so yeah it, and then obviously overseas 20th century uh fox was just panicking the movie was overtime and the budget uh, the studio wanted to completely shut down the whole thing, except for our boy, our unsung hero, Alan the Ladd. King. He really was. And so the movie was slated for Christmas, um, 76 release, but the movie was so behind that they had to push the movie back. Because Lucas was behind schedule, he went straight into post. The first cut of Star Wars was a disaster, and after trying to fix it, Lucas fired the editor and hired his own wife, to edit the final cut, who is currently working with Scorsese on New York, New York. Now, I made a comment to Tanner earlier. This We're talking a lot about these filmmakers like George Lucas, Francis Ford Coppola, Brian De Palma, Martin Scorsese. This class was like the frickin' 2003 NBA draft. Pure heavy hitters. Carmelo Anthony, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade. I mean... Unbelievable, and we'll throw in Dr- and they're all friends. We'll throw in Steven Spielberg too. Yeah, we'll throw in Draco Mil- Dr- Draco Milicic in there. Draco, Draco, Draco. He was, the, he was the second overall pick, an absolute dud. Who cares? Yeah. Chris Bosh though in that 2003 draft class. Chris Bosh too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Absolutely stacked. Love that. Can't believe it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was just crazy how many um, times they would just do things in one take. Um, so yeah, things apparently were even worse at Industrial Light and Magic, ILM, and they spent half the budget on the motion control and the camera setup. Again, 20th Century wanted Star Wars gone and George Lucas fired. And then our boy again, Alan Ladd Jr. saved it. He said, in quote, this is the greatest picture ever made, close quote. That's a hot take. We'll come back to that statement at the very end of all of this. That is a hot take. So, continuing on, George was feeling the pressure and ended up getting diagnosed with hypertension and was ordered to rest. Unfortunately, with everything going on at ILM, George stepped in personally and had to get the filming done in six months. That needed to be done in one year. Because originally they had that slated for 76 Christmas release and it got mm-hmm. released 1997, I mean, sorry, 19. 1977, excuse me, on May 25th. So, essentially, six months. Mm-hmm. So... 
Wild. Um, additionally, to help inspire the workers at ILM, he showed them footage of World War II planes, and the team used that as inspiration to create the, act- the action sequences in space. That part was so interesting to me because, you know, again, as we've talked about, there's so many special effects involved that, like, you didn't have green screens, you didn't have computer technology. So, what is your basis when you're the first person to create something? Yeah, you got to go and off so- something. Exactly. So, and you can even tell, like, all the, when Luke is in the gun turret in the Millennium Falcon, you can tell there's an act of, like, swooping like a plane would or some sort of gun turret back in World War II. And just creativity. Yeah. Crazy. And it helped them really frame those action sequences really well. And it's seamless. And in fact, speaking of Millennium mm-hmm. Falcon, Keeks, tell the, tell the listeners what I'm wearing. A golden Millennium Falcon t-shirt. We we threw on our our. Our best, hottest, what is it? Uh, uh, Most most fashionable. Disney, send your checks, baby. Actually, George, send us checks. And I I am looking at your Stormtrooper onesie, and it looks like there's a stain a little bit by the zipper. Is that a stain? Um, uh, I'm not going to lie. It is ripping in the hips. Okay. I got this four years ago, and I'm a little bigger than I was You need an upgrade. (laughs) I did. It's like there's like a... Let's get you a Darth Vader suit or something. My uncle has that one. Oh, I'll call love, him. He's taller than me. It'll probably fit me. Love that. Uh, continuing on. So Ben Burt was critical to the success. He was the sound design head. And you guys can listen to our previous take where we have Matt Orr on here talking about sound design. So and just so you guys know, because you know you, you got to give the you got to give the plug. That take is the sweet the sound of sweet music take 79 go take a listen to that yeah. one about um sound effects sound design very cool mm, and there's it. even number one for matt was a star wars sound design oh yeah oh, love that all right he had spent a year creating invented sounds chewbacca is the fun movie morsel here is the combo of bears walruses and lions Depending on the emotion in the scene, he was in. So all those things come together. And then R2's with sound was the hardest to create. His voice is a combo of Ben Burt's voice, doing beeps and boops, combined with a synthesizer. And then breathing for Vader, which I think might be the most iconic sound for Star Wars. Just a... (sighs) Yeah, it's amazing. Like in Revenge of the Sith, when they put on that mask. Oh, just that That mist just come up. That is a cool, great shot. I love that nice breezy mist coming out of his mouth oh let me suck that all up yeah please <laughs> just an only fans account of just that air just the i please. just the iceberg let me buy it by the pound there's an iceberg shake in the hot oh, summer day just stop of darth vader's yeah breath all right so <laughs> so breathing for vapor was was created by putting a mic in a regulator of a scuba tank and burt would breathe in the mask create the breath uh, David Prowse is Dark Vader. <laughs> Not great. They originally wanted Orson Welles, but thought he'd be too recognizable, so they hired staged actor James Earl Jones, iconic voice. Another pivotal part to Star Wars success. Like, every choice that they made, you have to imagine them in that moment, they're like, all right, let, let's just, hopefully this works. And everything had to have just been like, well, I hope this works, hope this works. And looking back, it's like, wow, you literally made the most perfect choice. Have you heard David Prowse? Uh, no, Darth Vader's body double speed. No, it's like I need them taken alive. You're kidding. Take them back. That is not menacing. It's no, it's so bad. Ooh. Oh no, it sounds so bad. So James Earl Jones, Thank absolute you. goat. Now, 
as they had gone at, at this at this time George had essentially finished like the rough first cut of Star Wars. His wife had come in, done a little bit of the editing. So he decided to, you know, to show it to some of his friends like Brian De Palma, Steven Spielberg, um, and a few others. And no one liked it. Actually, except for Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg liked it. He he said, um, um, you know, he said he kind of got the image and like he loved the characters. That's why he liked the movie so much. So then George showed it to 20th Century Fox execs and TC. How do you think they reacted? If his friends thought it was horrible, how do you think 20th Century Fox reacted? They were absolutely prepared for a disaster. Yep, basically. They didn't like but it. They liked it. They loved it. Wow. Which is great. Like, it's so funny that, you know, you show it to these filmmakers, huge filmmakers. I mean, Scarface, uh, the creator, of the, the maker of Jurassic Park. And they're like, mm, I don't know. And then these executives are like, this is going to be freaking amazing. Actually, one of them cried that they loved it so much. <sighs> but the, the cut that George showed them was missing the Death Star run and the whole score for the movie. Oh, my. So and after that, he, and that adds so much effect, especially John Williams. Oh, that and that ended up being the key because fortunately, Luke, John, George Lucas was able to get in contact with John Williams since they were filming in London. John Williams was working with like the London, um, the London Symphony, Symphony is what it's called. Uh, but the music was kind of supposed to give people an emotional anchor, even though like the movie took place in outer space. So it should feel familiar while being different strange and out of this world um the the music was recorded in 12 days i don't know how long it takes to record like a musical score but i'm gonna guess it's way longer than 12 than 12 days normally that's amazing you know 12 days I, to create I'm, I'm convinced that's when monster energy drinks were actually made <laughs> They just had him in a cooler at the London Symphony. Yeah, just jacked on caffeine. under lock and key. That, just that, like John Williams' secret recipe. That or Adderall, one of the two. It was just the breath from Darth Vader in Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> 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 it all comes back. That's um, what they were on. That's crazy. But honestly, the crazy thing about the score is, I didn't realize this either, is back in that time, people were used to, like, disco and, like, soundtracks being used in their movie because it seemed more familiar. You know, oh, I recognize this song. That That's still used today. So, um... They weren't used to non you know, like traditional orchestral scores, which is purely what the movie is based, you know, is centered around. Yeah. Now, while they're getting the movie prepared basically for a disaster, um, George Lucas had hired Charles Lippinot, Lippincott as their marketing strategist for Lucasfilm. And, and Charles had kind of seen the writing on the wall, at least from George's side of like, this could be huge. So what he did was he went on to get deals with Marvel Comics and Stan Lee and had a book come out based around the movie to come out from another author. There was 500,000 copies of the book that were released and they all sold out. Wow. Which is crazy that that didn't really change anyone's mind. The, at that point, the movie was slated to come out the Wednesday before Memorial Day, May 25th, and only 40 theaters at that time had agreed to show it. So, like we said, 20th Century Fox was prepared for a disaster. Before we get into how it worked, we are sat down, we've watched the movie, TC, A New Hope. 
or as they called it back then, it was just, just Star, Star Wars. Wars. What do you think of Star Wars? Geeks, this is this is what got the baby crawling to eventually run, <laughs> to eventually jump into light speed of the Millennium Falcon. I love A New Hope. And I remember growing up, I mentioned this on the take, geez, like take two, that my family, my two older brothers would always watch Star Wars on Christmas. We would have original trilogy marathon because this was yeah. out. This we didn't. We would watch this all three of them, and this is before the prequels came out. So um, I love a New Hope. It is just a great. And what's interesting about a New Hope is you almost could have just ended the movie there. However, there was still some closure that needed to be done with Darth Vader. Who was Darth Vader and all that? So it's yeah. it's honestly a great standalone movie. And, Which is so crazy to me that yeah. like uh, one of George's stipulations was okay if we're going to make this movie I get to own all of the rights for the merchandising yeah again funny because like no one thought of that George was just he was thinking so much further ahead than everyone else was yeah. he saw he knew what was coming he knew the future the merchandise I mean you see it oh, you see gosh. honestly you walk out on the street on a regular day and if you pass a hundred people I guarantee you ten people will have a Star Wars shirt or some type of Star Wars yep. on. Maybe you can't see I it, but Star Wars sucks. Hence, right here. Oh, oh I love it. Put the <laughs> just just put one on your hand. I, actually, Yoda socks in the camera feet, right now. My feet are cold. I should honestly put these on. So Yeah, that's a good my a, feet are very clammy. Ugh, a New Hope yeah. is an A plus movie. It is it's my third favorite. I love Revenge of the Sith. I give Revenge of the Sith like a B. New Hope is better than a Revenge of the Sith. Oh, one hundred percent. It's for better. me. I love a Revenge of the Sith. It just gets that two spot. But a New Hope is an A plus. It is very sweet. If you've never seen Star Wars, you have to start with a New Hope. If I oh, if, interesting. If I, okay. if I sit my kids down and I'm like, we're having a Star Wars marathon, I'm going to start with a New Hope, and I'm not going to start I've, with Episode One. That's me because I think that's it's fun to be like, where did the stormtroopers come from? How did Darth Vader become Darth Vader? And then you go watch the prequels. I like that How did setup. you... That's... I, I've always wondered. I've asked a lot of people this is, what order would you watch it? Um, original trilogy... Like, how did you feel when you first watched Star Wars? I mean, I was so young at the time. I just thought it was so fun. Like, I would see my brothers light up watching it. And it just brings in a lot of memories. Very nostalgic, you know? Yeah, what what I think most stands out to me is it feels so real. Yeah. At no point when you're watching it, maybe a little bit now, but at no point are you like, oh, that's weird, or like, that's fake. Like, even with the Millennium Falcon getting, like, tractor beamed into the Death Star, you're like, oh my gosh, that place is huge. Even though it's just a miniature set. So much of Star Wars is so, so real, but also fantastic and magical at the same time. Yeah, the sca- and it blends that perfectly. It walks that line perfectly. The scale of Star Wars, you can just feel like it is almost within another galaxy. Like the the yeah. ability that they had to create that, and the characters are so likable. And Peru, Luke is so whiny. <laughs> but I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. So they're Whatever just very likable characters. The chemistry is so good on screen, and it's so cool to see how. Star Wars is what it is today. And with this background, this information that we've shared, it's awesome to see how it came on screen and how everything worked out. And it worked out in the favor of the actors, George Lucas, his vision, 20th Century Fox, 
You know, they they took a leap of faith and the harness didn't break. They did. And fortunately, they made it to the other side. Alan Ladd Jr., seriously, we, we will say it a hundred more times. He just stuck to his guns. He knew it. He saw, like, the passion. And that's kind of what he talked about. Has He felt George's passion with the movie and knew that that is part of the reason why it would be such a success. Is there anything you don't like about Star Wars? Um, I honestly don't like how they replaced the effects. For oh, the yeah, yeah, that's... It's like, keep okay, it how it is. I, I mean, at the time for 1977, there's still some, like, effects that are like, oh, that looks kind of bad, but it's 1977. It's benefit of the doubt. Um, mm-hmm. So, for me, I love Star Wars. I think it's my second... And I, I mentioned this before. When The Force Awakens came out in 2015, I rewatched all the Star Wars leading up to it, and I had not seen... This is crazy. I feel like I'm very sacrilegious saying this, but I have not seen the original trilogy since I was like seven, eight years old. It had been so long. And so like that rewatch, I was like, oh my gosh, it's been so long. Like I forgot a lot of scenes. So, Mm -hmm. and that's what's uh, so nice about Star Wars. It's very watchable. I can't think of anything I dislike. What about you, Keeks? Do you, what, what, I know A New Hope is your, isn't that like your third favorite movie of all time? It is my third favorite movie of all time. A New Hope for me, because I remember they re-released them in 1997. They re-released A New Hope. And I've mentioned this so many times on the podcast that that is the first movie I remember seeing. I remember Darth Vader punching through that wall and with the stormtroopers coming out with him and feeling so terrified by this tall guy in the black suit. And I remember each of these feelings of just being so invested in these movies and then finding the cassette tapes at my parents' house and just re-watching those. I have them hanging up in my house. I have them on a shelf. They're like 20 years old. Yeah, uh, I guess 23 years old Yeah. now. And it it means so much to me. A a New Hope, the original Star Wars means so much. It is an A-plus. Absolutely sweet for me. Um... I really have nothing bad to say about it. I can't think of anything bad. Um, the pace, I think the pace, why would you? Yeah, no, the pacing's great. The suspense is mm-hmm. great. The humor is good, but it's not forced like in these in these later, earlier, yeah. most recent movies that we have of Star Wars. And mm-hmm. it just, it flows so well. I love, my favorite character is Star Wars. The original trilogy is Alec Guinness. I love Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh. His ability to mentor, and I'm so glad he, that he stuck around for the later films. Yeah, um, and always kind of had that presence. Always had that mentor. Um, he was—he's the OG Morpheus. <laughs> oh, okay, like that. Um, yeah, and I think the reason why it feels so similar, it feels feels so familiar, is because George got all the, his inspiration from, um, you know, like the Odyssey. He got it from King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Yeah. Just all sorts of different stories and legends, and just made them into yeah. one space weird cereal yeah. which it's has stood the test of time which i think now is a great time to go into the effects of when it released let's do it and i because i i'm you got it keeks all you because i think star wars created the word blockbuster we talked about 40 theaters said that they would show it at the end of the day only 37 theaters showed it and the movie broke 36 house records in the night that it was released. And three weeks after release, 20th Century Fox stock doubled in price. To give you a picture of how successful this movie was, 
20th Century Fox had made $37 million the year before, and that was its record in revenue for a full year. Star Wars single-handedly broke that record and doubled it within the first few weeks in making $79 million. And actually, a year later, Alan Ladd Jr. went to go premiere the movie in Japan. He brought it over there, set it up, showed it to the people, and at the end, no one did anything. The crowd was silent. Total silence. Of course, Alan... Yeah, Alan Ladd Jr. left and was like, oh, gosh, it's going to be a bomb here. No one's going to like it. He later found out, it was a sweet movie, more so if any of you could decide to go to the movies in Japan. I don't know if they still do this. but um, I would. He learned that silence is the highest form of respect that a Japanese audience can show to a movie in Japanese culture. And my... <laughs> I think one of my favorite things about all of this was is the merchandising was so huge that the toy company that was responsible for creating the toys didn't anticipate it. So they sold out almost immediately. So this this marketing tool was genius. What they ended up doing was they created these cardboard vouchers that you could buy. And what kids got that Christmas was just a voucher saying, hey, come redeem this voucher for a Star Wars toy set in March. And... It just kicked it all off. I mean, I have tons of Star Wars guys at my house. I have um, a a Luke, one with a little backpack where you could put a Yoda in it, and he had the blue lightsaber. So I still have that in, like, a bag at my house of all my old Star Wars action figures. Did you have any Star Wars action figures? Oh, man. Are you kidding? <laughs> uh, uh, do you, do you, you remember that? Your, your favorite? No, <laughs> honestly, I just remember uh, my brothers would have some action figures, and I have two Ray Bops. <laughs> the the bobbleheads. The bobbleheads. What, what are they called? Bops. Bobbleheads. You know, you sent you sent me one. Oh, Funko Pops. Funko Pops, not the Bops. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Funko okay. Pops, yeah. A, a, bas- a, a family from Basketball I Train gave me one when Force Awakens was released, and then you gave me oh, one. So uh, I, did. I remember Phantom Menace or Phantom of the Menace when that True. when that came out. I was living in Moab at the time, six years old. No, yeah, six seven, and the marketing for that was crazy. Oh my, crazy! Gosh. You had all the characters on their faces on all the Pepsi. Mountain Dew cans and just true and just action figures ev- everywhere. Like I remember being six, seven years old, and I remember that vividly. I have an Anakin action figure, like little boy Anakin. I don't know who the frick bought me it. Like, yeah. hey, we think you're an okay kid. We don't like you, so we're not going to give you a cool Darth and Maul one. But like, did you ever? Ha- don't did you ever have just you. lightsaber battles with your friends in the neighborhood? Oh heck yeah! I have a lightsaber at my house. Yeah, yeah. like it was just iconic. Same one. Like I was Obi Wan Kenobi for Halloween. <laughs> Stop! That's amazing. <laughs> In two thousand. So right, like pretty soon after um, Phantom Menace came out. Yeah, Phantom of the Menace. Come on, get it right. I was actually I was oh I was Luke when I was six, and then I was Obi Wan when I was nine. Mm, all right. I was never as so, Halloween. I was never a Jedi. I was always a ninja. Oh, that's a great... But, yeah, they're kind of related. Kind of well, samurais. Yeah. And I loved lightsabers. Like, I always asked for lightsabers for Christmas, so... And I remember just when you were, like, the kid on the block that had, like, a blue or green lightsaber, we'd be like... Oh, Whoa. like the red one? Oh. You, were the, you were, like, the bad oh, yeah, kid. You, you were, were, like, the <laughs> cookie monster PJs and the Mike Wazowski flat brim You were kid. doing Chinese doorbell ditching, not doorbell ditching. You were opening <laughs> doors, and you were saying ding-dong. Oh, I didn't even know that's what... 
Maybe we'll refer to it as something other than Chinese. Yeah. That's good. That's all right. We're kids. Yeah. Yeah. We were kids. Anyways. Um, so yeah, the, I, the merchandise crazy. Absolutely wild. And so with the success of Star Wars, you would have thought, oh, okay. Yeah. Like they're going to be totally on board to make a sequel, which they were, but like we're still hesitant for some reason. So what George did was he was like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to have to do it myself. Yeah. To make Empire Strikes Back, the sequel to, like, the biggest movie of all time at that time. It was the highest grossing movie of all time. All right. Well, let's get into Empire Strikes Back. We have some movie morsels. Not as much history regarding (laughs) A New Hope and kind of the buildup for uh, Star Wars A New Hope. So Empire Strikes Mm -hmm. Back and Return of the Jedi are a little bit less with movie morsels. But let's get into it. You ready? Perfect. So Empire Strikes Back, as you alluded to, was entirely financed by George and that was unheard of. George had learned from his past mistakes, so he decided not to direct and hired Irving Kirshner. Kirshner originally didn't want to do it because Star Wars was such a phenomenon. I mean, imagine taking on that task, having to fill those shoes. So I don't blame him. Uh, his no. agent told him he was crazy if he didn't take on the movie, and Kirshner accepted the challenge. Um, shot the snow sections in Norway and that year, Scandinavia experienced the harshest winter in roughly about 15, 50, 50 years. 5-0, people. And what I found was really cool, Sweet Movie Morsel, is the Rebel Army was played by Norwegian mountain rescue ski- skiers. Oh, really? Yeah. Isn't that cool? Okay. Yeah. And so they shot the scene of Luke escaping from the Wampa out the back door of the hotel in, in Norway. Another yeah, movie like- morsel. They they could not leave the hotel because so much snow had been blown in. So, like, everyone just stayed warm in the hotel while they filmed Luke running out the back door of the hotel in Norway. Gosh. It's so crazy to me that they were able to set all of that up. Another thing was filming in snow, especially for special effects, was highly, highly, like, do not do it because it's hard to, like, recreate certain scenes and get that depth of field. But they did it anyways, because they're like, well, we freaking made Star Wars, so Might as well. there's nothing we can't do. Yeah, no, I agree, 100%. No. And so, to film the rest of the movie, they went back to London uh, to shoot in the same studio they did for Star Wars, A New Hope. Uh, interesting and, in, Interestingly enough, Yoda was designed by Stuart Freeborn and Frank Oz. So, Dagobah, baby. This is where we get our training oh. for Luke. Yoda is in the picture. The stage, oh my gosh, how this whole sequence was filmed is crazy. So so much hard work went into this. Right? So Stuart Freeborn modeled Yoda's face after himself, and that got a photo of Einstein and put his wrinkles around Yoda's face. Fun movie morsels, mm-hmm. baby. They had to build the mm-hmm. set five feet above the stage so Frank could move Yoda around. Three people were controlling Yoda, and no one could hear each other on this new set. Imagine that type of communication with not even hearing. Yourself. So it's like different people were controlling the ears and the eyes. So like sometimes Yoda's eyes would be like cross-eyed. So they'd have to redo the take and the, the, um, the earpiece that Mark Hamill was using was tuned into a certain radio. And sometimes like radio signals would interfere. So he'd be doing a scene and he'd randomly hear like the Rolling Stones on the background in his earpiece and he'd laugh and he'd ruin the shoot so he had to go start again and for a few months it was just mark hamill on set with frank oz and the puppet yoda so like mark didn't have any other human characters to interact and i think he's such a huge reason for why 
Yoda works is because he feels like such a believable mentor, even though he's just a puppet. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very interesting. How long was he by himself with the puppet? Mm, story? I think if I remember right, it was like three months. Dang! Like the the shoot the shoot schedule was Mark and you know Yoda, or Mark and Frank Oz because Frank was you know in charge of the puppeteering. Wow! And the voice crazy. So speaking of um, Mark Hamill, uh, there was a false page about Luke's father. Only a handful of people knew the actual ending. Now, I think this is why, because you have a lot of actors, you have a lot of people talk. Loose lips, it's normal. Of course. Um, So they knew the, uh, only a handful of people knew the actual ending, and not even Mark and David Prowse knew. They were told privately. Yep. So. And, well, actually, there is a story, Mark Hamill told this story a few years ago, how, um, and one of the basically he was people were given this false script and so there would be stories in the news about oh rumor about star wars that would circulate and it was totally false and that how that's how they were able to like weed out certain people from the crew if you know they were at a pub and got drunk and told people something but no one knew yeah it was literally under lock and key yeah crazy so a oh. couple more movie morsels here um so george lucas um, recouped his money within three months of Empire's release. He shared the profits he made, handing out $5 million in bonuses. With the money he earned, it was still startup level, but he was able to open up Skywalker Ranch to help give him and his friends a state-of-the-art creative area to make movies. Thus started LucasArts, THX, and Skywalker Sound, um, and ILM, as we've alluded to. So, crazy. Uh, what I really think is very interesting about this is what I'm about to um, say here is George Lucas was the one who started the revolution of putting the credits after the movie was over instead of before. I, yep. I, I did not know this. This is crazy. He, he got special permission from the Directors Guild of America to put the credits after the movie just for Star Wars. So when he came back to them, they find the crap out of Paramount or not or not Paramount, 20th Century Fox, and George pitched in, and he paid for all of the fines. Um, Alan Ladd Jr. was a big like advocate of, let him do this, just let him keep the credits in after. And because of this difference, Alan Ladd Jr., that led to his exiting from 20th Century Fox president. Yeah, and then they pitched Indiana Jones to Paramount. Mm-hmm. So, crazy, crazy, crazy. Another little fun movie morsel is, it's kind of random, but kind of fun. In the asteroid yeah. scene, some of the distant asteroids are potatoes. So yeah. next time, you know, watching the space scene, whip up some mashed potatoes. Oh, yeah. Get some French fries out yeah. there. So, Keeks, I want to I hear you what you think about Empire Strikes Back. Is it the greatest, Strikes Back. Is it the greatest sequel ever made? Oh, no, man. Yeah, no, yes, maybes, or no's. Hit me. Are we are we Siths? Are we dealing in absolutes? We, it has to be yes or we no. We are dealing in absolutes, baby. Yes. Over Terminator Two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I'll give it to Empire Strikes Back. I agree. Um, it's so different, and it builds so much more on the characters. Irving Kirshner, who actually, if you're curious, um, the movie he had made before was Through the Eyes of Laura Mars. It's a thriller, like a mystery thriller. That's supposed to be really good. It is on Criterion Channel. So. Check it out. Um, the, what's so interesting about Empire is it does feel fresh. It, Irving really wanted to focus on the human aspects of these characters. And you can tell because it's it's so much more of a drama 
than than action. Star Wars is. You're there with Lando. You're, you, our characters are in these like morally difficult decisions, and you're trying to figure out. Okay, well, you know, how are they going to get out of this one? And the ending is tragic. The Empire Strikes Back is like, oh my gosh, like leads you on the best cliffhanger leading into a third movie of all time. Yeah, because you're like, wait, what? Imagine just being in that seat and being like, Darth Vader is Luke's father. I mean, I know that's yes. like one of the most iconic, like Luke, I am your father, but <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Like that is that is Star Wars to a T with that type of surprise. Oh, and that they they piggybacked off that in like almost every single movie, especially the ends. Um, something that I don't like about the specialized edition, you can say what you want, but I think this is the biggest faux pas of the specialized editions, is when is in the original Empire Strikes Back, when Luke falls off the tower after hearing that Darth Vader is his father, he doesn't scream, he just looks down and he falls, because in my eyes it feels like he'd rather be dead than be alive and know that Darth Vader is his father. But in the specialized edition, they add in a no while he's falling, which just kind of takes away any emotion from the scene. Yeah. And it seems like a slip up or like an accident when in reality, it's it's honestly Luke is just rock bottom. Yeah. Just there's shook. nothing there for him. And I love that he has telepathy with his sister, Leia. That oh. he's like, and she's like, it's a little force vision, yeah. Tur- little force time there, a little, bit. A little force Skype. That's the first force Skype okay. we we got. Oh, I wish we. I wish you and me had yeah. that. Could you imagine? We do in a sense. Yeah, we basically yeah. do. That's true. Stop that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I've given Empire Strikes Back an A plus. It is my favorite out of. It's my number one. I just re- I rewatched this after Rise of Skywalker because after Rise of Skywalker I was like, give me give me give me the good Star Wars, and Empire to me is like my number one favorite. It's my number one Star Wars. It's easily mm-hmm. I got to re-rank my top ten favorite movies of all time, but it is easily in my top five. Yeah, it is, I do too. I need, I need a re-rank, and I really need to sit down and be like, okay, which one would I prefer? Yeah. So Empire Strikes Back, A plus, an absolute sweet. I think it's the best sequel ever made. And again, like you said, it's not it's not so much an action. It's more of a drama and it really puts on, it just builds more character development. And I love, we'll get to, we're going to get to our five favorite scenes from each of the trilogy, um, which I will get to, but I don't want to reveal it yet. So a plus from me yeah. geeks. It's I, as I was actually going through my favorite scenes, I was like, Oh my gosh, almost all of my favorite scenes are from empire strikes back. Yeah. yeah. It's so fun. Um, Irvin Kershaw just kills it with his direction because how grounded it makes it feel. And even the special effects team, it's like, once they had done Star Wars, they were like, okay, well, we know we can do this. Let's push the boundary even more. And, like, the ATSTs that are out there, um, uh, like, the Wampas that are there, and, like, the little, um, the little, like, llama things that he ride. I forget what that's called. Uh, a Tanton. A Tanton. Yeah. I love those and, things. I love the noise that they make. I know. Well, and the, so the probe that Darth Vader sends down is like, they built like the actual probe and they put it on a, um, on like a conveyor belt and they pushed it across the snow. So it looked like he was actually moving. Love all real props, just all sorts of real prop set. Now, what, what what ended up being the aftermath of Empire Strikes Back was a little bit difficult because, as we talked about, George Lucas had had this fallout with the Directors Guild of America. 
So basically, George is like, okay, well, I'm not going to freaking deal with these people. And he quits the DGA, which in hindsight made it so that he wanted um, Steven Spielberg to direct Return of the Jedi. But because George Lucas wasn't part of the Directors Guild of America, he couldn't get Steven to direct the movie. So he had to go with a relatively unknown director. Um, One of my favorite sweet movie morsels of all time is... George Lucas actually um, had lunch and went to a salad place with uh, David Lynch and approached David Lynch to direct Return of the Jedi, which I don't even know if I want to imagine what a David Lynch Return of the Jedi would be. It would just be like three minutes of the Emperor like in a red room dancing with his robe off. I just don't know what you would even see or imagine. Right. So... Um, actually, uh, David Lynch ended up turning down the offer, similar to, literally to why Irving Kirshner almost didn't direct Empire, is because he felt, ah, uh, it's just uh, it's just too big for me. I don't think that I'd be able to truly do what I want. So, um, George Lucas ended up going with the director Richard Marquand, and Richard, along with him bringing onto the movie, Harrison Ford wasn't like the other actors. The other actors signed on for three films. Harrison Ford didn't sign up for three films because he thought it would be better that Han Solo, for his character, that he sacrifice himself for the other characters. Now, TC, in hindsight, do you think that would have been a better choice than having him come back? Maybe he's in like half of Return of the Jedi, but dies so that, you know, the rebels can escape and blow up the Death Star or something. Nah, I feel like Han Solo is such an iconic character. Like, if you think, if you just say, like, if you go up to anybody and say, hey, give me your 10 most iconic movie characters, 100% of the time, Han Solo's in that top 10. He's in my top 10. Um, I think the top two are both Harrison Ford characters. Yeah, Indiana Jones. Han Solo, Indiana Jones, both created by George Lucas. Yeah, so How crazy is that? Yeah, like Harrison Ford, get that bag. Oh, like he I, does. Iconic character. So, get more hoop earrings. Yeah. <laughs> Oh gosh, those are Please. those are those are abysmal. Those were rough. Oh jeez, even if MJ can't pull those off, I don't know how yeah. Harrison Ford yeah. would be able to. Yeah. MJ MJ's on the edge. He can do it. He's fine. The Last Dance. He is the the Last Dance. By the way, is great. We will review that when that's over. It is great. Yep. <laughs> so Hanzo, he need to be in there, and I'm glad he was. It's a it's, yes. and it's a family movie. You can't kill off one of the most likable characters. No. No, it's just suck, just suck it up, man. Yeah, I mean, you you no, can, you can kill him off thirty years anymore. later in two thousand fifteen. That's fine, <laughs> kind of unceremoniously, but you know, yeah. it, that's neither here nor there. But the interesting thing that I found about Return of the Jedi is they were going into production. They were pitching, you know, they're like, "Hey, going to different production locations, saying, oh, you know, we need to film.'" And they were finding that these studios were price gouging them. You know, something that would normally be a dollar was like three dollars they were being charged for. So they gave Return of the Jedi a code name and that code name was blue harvest which if any of you guys have seen the family guy like star wars spoofs have you seen those oh my gosh yes the first one is called blue harvest oh. and i was always like what is blue harvest what does oh, that oh i didn't mean? know that yeah and that's what it's from is the code name for it that they gave to return of the jedi and you know as they'd go to show up and shoot the the, the people on the other end who agreed to the contract for blue harvest saw oh what's carrie fish oh it's mark Hamm. Oh, it's Star Wars, you know, and kind of realized that maybe they'd been a little bamboozled, but bamboozled. you know, you got to you got to also earn that bag and save that. Mm-hmm, bag. Mm-hmm. So gotta be wise. It was so cool for me learning this. I did not know this, but the Sarlacc pit sweet movie morsel here that I'm just going to throw in was a puppet. 
It's like they had people inside, so it's like they built the puppet into the sand, and they had dudes inside of the Sarlacc pit with little sticks moving the mouths and sticking, like, the tongues out. Where, so it actually looked like a living, breathing thing inside of the sand. Where was this for my puppet shows growing up to go into Grandma's? Oh, could you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> that would have been amazing. It's like on the, on the floating ship. That's on. Unru- you could, like, jump off into the Sarlacc pit. And just have a good time. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. Um, and what's also crazy, adding to that, I want to chime in here, is mm-hmm. George Lucas had no idea how popular Boba Fett was going to be. He had no idea. And so he even oh. considered adding a shot of Boba Fett escaping the Sarlacc pit for the 2004 DVD release, but he decided to hold off because that would distract viewers from the intended storyline. Now, real quick, I want to give yeah. you your take. Do you like Boba Fett? How do you feel about Boba Fett? I like both of that. I think he looks cool. His suit is sick. His suit is cool, and I'm glad they held off on an anthology film for yeah. for Boba Fett. Oh, gosh. No. Josh Trank's Boba Fett no. movie. Blech. So, both, both. I actually think it could have been pretty cool. Do you remember the Django Fett video game for PlayStation 2? No, I don't. But I, no, It was I like I an attachment it. to Clone Wars. Dude, that game was sick. Was it cool? Oh, it was so sweet. You could, like, fly around. You could go on, like, bounty missions as Django Fett. Dang. Imagine that, but for, like, a Boba Fett okay. movie. all right. I could see it working. All right. Maybe not with Josh Trank. Maybe with literally anyone yeah. else, but... 343 Studios, where are you? Get your hands on this. Oh, please. Make Halo, oh, make, make Halo Infinite already. <laughs> is it not, mate? No. Anyway, anyways, what's the, what's the next? You have another one in here that I think is super interesting. Yeah, I like this one. The DVD um, release. So in the, D- in the 2004 DVD release, George Lucas explained, and I think this is a really important scene in Return of the mm-hmm. Jedi, uh, which we'll get to our grade here in a minute, but George Lucas explained the reason why Yoda told Luke that Darth Vader was his father is because Lucas consulted with a child psychologist during the making of the film. And the psychologist stated that unless it was, you know, unequivocally stated without any doubt that Vader was Luke's father's Luke's father, moviegoers under the age of 12 would possibly dismiss Vader's claim to be Luke's father. And that would be a, they, they would think that was a lie. So I thought that was very, very interesting. And it's basically Yoda's last breath, his dying breath. And Luke is begging him to know. And you can just see Mark Hamill's like facial reactions like, oh, yeah. So and I think that was confirmation because you don't know, like Darth Vader could have been lying to him, could have been twisted. Yeah, could have been attacked. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So with Yoda's essentially saying like, yeah, he's your father. You, got, you must confront him and confront him. You will. So I thought that was a very interesting oh. for Lucas to meet and consult with a child psychologist to confirm this. Because, yeah, you want any shadow of doubt. And I think it was pivotal for Yoda to be the one to confirm that. Especially him being like such a great mentor in addition to Obi-Wan. Man, I think think the one thing about all of these movies, and not even that it's bad, but like since the prequels have been made, it does create some loopholes where you're like, wait, what is, okay, what does that mean? That's just as like a side note. So it's like, you know. Luke being his, you know, Darth Vader being his father. Okay, how exactly? Neither here nor there. Or like how Obi-Wan doesn't recognize R2, even though R2 is with him for all of the the prequel trilogy. I think there are explanations. Anyways, that's not really that important. Um, just like a little observation. Um, what they ended up doing now, this these, we're just going to kind of go into like little facts about the 
about but the, but further about the behind the scenes. Oh, my my dog loves Star Wars too. Is the Forest Moon of Endor when they have that scene, the sequence of them on the speeders chasing with the stormtroopers and Luke and Leia going through? Great scene. What? What they what the camera crew did was they took a camera that shot at one frame per second and they walked through five miles of trails in the redwoods of Northern California so that when they played that footage back, it was sped up to be 24 times faster than normal. And it really creates that depth of feel of like, oh, wow, they're going so fast. How are they avoiding all of these, you know, all of these obstacles, all of these trees, all of these woods? What was difficult with the filming was that um, Richard Marquand wasn't really he he wasn't used and he he had never directed a big blockbuster before, so he didn't know how to frame action set pieces that well. He didn't know how to shoot, taking into account that visual effects would be there. So George ended up doing a lot more work than he thought he would have to doing a lot of second unit directing and a lot of additional first unit directing as well um, to make sure that the movie could be framed as well as he wanted it to. Sweet movie, Marcel. Again, is th- this little guy has ended up being a, a, a huge fan. I was already a huge fan of Star Wars, but Warwick Davis mm-hmm. came on as an 11-year-old boy to play the lead Ewok named Wicket. After his mom heard a radio announcement calling for little people to come and audition to be in the new Star Wars movie. Actually, Kenny Baker was supposed to be the lead of Wicket, but on the day of shooting, he had food poisoning. So they just like told little 11-year-old Warwick Davis to basically play the lead. You're the lead Ewok. Yeah, now, is it, which they don't actually ever mention the word stop. Ewok. Out. I was just about to ask you that. Please. See? No. Skype force. Happening right here. I love right it. Right now. <laughs> force time. All the time. <laughs> TC and Keys coming at you. Mercy. Interesting. And, yeah, the movie, again, when it was released, made a ton of money. It was like the highest grossing movie of all time when it came out. Beat basically its own previous records. And... I can't with the rest of that. It's almost history with all of the money that George Lucas made. He was able to push the VFX boundaries and change filmmaking for the better. When in 1984, Lucasfilm created an edit and a, a program called Edit and Sound Droid. And so it was Edit Droid and Sound Droid. And it was the first non-linear digital editing system, which basically meant that people could access frames and film from shooting from computers and edit them that way, which is how editing is done now. Yeah. Everyone uses the computers to edit. You've got all sorts of systems. You've got Premiere Pro, which I like to use and I'm learning to use. It's freaking crazy, but super useful. Uh, in addition to that, they also formed the Pixar computer. They made the Pixar computer, mm. which would use 3D models to create visual effects using 3D models. In addition to these models, he used ILM's special effects and added 3D graphics to his music's creating what we now know as the special editions. Now, the the most interesting aspect of George Lucas's career is he started off wanting to be an independent filmmaker. He had seen how all of these corporations had come in and had kind of used all of these, you know, like a hive mindset to create movies. And he wanted to go with his own brain. And by the time his career was done with Star Wars... All this work that he had done to try and take down corporations, ironically, 
he ended up becoming one big corporation of Lucasfilm and Pixar and ILM and THX. And he he even he doesn't even really give an explanation for it. He just kind of says, I just ended up being my own corporation. So he was able to do a lot of good, but it does go to show that sometimes we end up becoming that evil, but he wasn't evil. Yeah. And what I think is sad is he worked so hard for corporations not to tear down his ideas that I think this is just this is just speculation. I don't know. But after making the prequels and I think how badly they were shot down, he's like, I don't want to have to deal with this anymore. And he sold off his idea to a corporation. I think that's kind of sad. Yeah. Yeah. He just was kind of like, this is my baby, but time to, s- but time the to good sell news it off. about that. Is he, he con he, he achieved his dream. He went out and with the hardest work that he could put forth, he created the most original IP possibly of all time. Yeah. And Star Wars. And I mean, and Return of the Jedi, TC, what grade do you give it? What's your rating? What do you think of Return of the Jedi? Let me go back to that real quick because I want to say that Disney bought, as just real quick, Movie Morsel, Lucasfilm for $4 billion. If people forgot that. So, yeah. Four billion. That's a B, as in, boy, that's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, I could buy a lot of, I don't know, what would you buy with four billion dollars? Skywalker Ranch. (laughs) (laughs) I'd buy Skinwalker Ranch, and me and Becky would go live on it. Little, little. We would come out and visit. It'd just be a blast. Oh, you just kidding me? I would hate living on that ranch. Becky would love it. I know. I would. I'm not down. Um. I'm right with you. I buy Skywalker Yeah, no, Ranch. not Skidwalker Ranch. <laughs> you got to choose one of the walkers. I'm going with this guy. <laughs> um, Return of the Jedi, I think, obviously, I think a lot of people like Return of the Jedi. Sometimes I've heard, like, it's their favorite um, Star Wars. I think it, it's my fifth favorite. I have Force Awakens as the fourth spot um, over Return yeah. of the Jedi. I'm going to give Return of the Jedi a B plus B. BB plus it's sweet definitely should watch it there's just some scenes that I just it almost feels like two movies um the whole like there's another Death Star you know it's like we already got that yeah. it's not very original um Luke all black with the green saber is so clean though I love that oh, love that that is all time that fit. is that is an all time fit like that is I, I, I mean that's drip <laughs> that is not drown baby that's pure drip Supreme's trying to copy that they're still struggling Oh, they couldn't do no, it. No, no so, way. So I just feel like Return of the Jedi had a vision, but it just kind of is a bit of a carbon copy of some uh, New Hope. I know Force Awakens a total car- carbon copy of a New Hope, and I, I still love yeah. it. But with with it just being two, fi- uh, just a, basically two films later, it's like oh, it's like a New Hope, a new, another Death Star. I don't like. Yeah, I don't like the Endor. Yeah, no, I don't like the Ewoks the and or, and I can understand. There's just a lot of, there's a lot of different destinations and scenes, and there's a lot of jumping in Return of the Jedi. So I still like it. It's very watchable. It has a ton of action. I think the first act of the movie is my favorite part, personally. It's such a weird thing, because the whole first act is just at Jabba's Palace. Yeah. And how long is that runtime? Is it 30 minutes? It's like 45 minutes. Yeah, it's, it's quite a while, and... That's my favorite part because I love the Sarlacc pit. Like that is one of my favorite scenes, which I will allude to and discuss more of. Ah, one of my favorite a scenes. Sneak, sneak peek. But uh, 
yeah, that's that's kind of my review with Return of the Jedi. I think it's a B B plus. You know, I'm gonna give it a B plus. Star Wars, the all black, the drip, <laughs> the green saber, baby. Oh, puts it over the hump. So B plus for me. Uh, sweet Keeks, what do you think? I think yeah. I, I also give it a B plus. We're grading on the Star Wars curve mainly because George Lucas had a lot of trouble to get this movie made, especially having after left the Directors Guild. Um, he he just he. He couldn't, I don't think, make it the way that he wanted to. And he, lightning does not strike twice in the same place, and it definitely doesn't three. I mean, the fact that he made helped make the best sequel of all time, and then to go over and even perfect the sequel, it's just so improbable. But it's a good effect. It's a good effort. It has some fun things about the movie. It's a B if George actually had it made the way that he wanted to, and there was no interference. But it's a B plus. It's still sweet. It's Star Wars. I have a great time watching it. Me and Becky just watched it a couple months ago, actually, and it's a lot more fun than you'll remember it. I just give Disney, please give us the despecialized original trilogy. Yeah, please Disney plus. We need it. Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. The cantina scene a little much too, but kind of kind of. Oh gosh, how horrible is that new content with the weird alien with dancing the with the weird lips? Ugh. Oh, gross. <laughs> I just gag with you doing yeah, that. Know, oh gosh, we're sorry for whoever just puked all over their car, hearing us <laughs> gag everywhere. But um, you know, sometimes yeah. So that's that's I think A plus New Hope, A plus Empire Strikes Back, back and then B plus Return of the Jedi, all sweet. Over yep, exactly. it is Overall, the second best so trilogy behind Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I would. I quality wise, I agree. Yeah. So. But overall, I think Star Wars is a better trilogy just because, I mean, like you said, Star Wars is a religion. Looking back now, you have you have conventions dedicated to Star Wars where thousands of people show up just to like buy Star Wars related things, just to be with other people that love Star Wars. And that is what makes it so timeless because that doesn't exist anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah, maybe you might have it for Marvel in a few years, but even then it's... It's based off of a bunch of other people's ideas. This all came from the mind of one man. And Made it happen. He did. It's amazing. We talk about this so much. As it, you guys, I mean, George Lucas is, was no different than any one of us, really. He, he just went out, he grinded, and he showed people how passionate he was about his ideas. And he got it made. Yeah. Almost flawless. Skinwalk- Skywalker Ranch, not Skinwalker <laughs> Now we need we need a parody of, of Skinwalker mind. Ranch. Oh, what would be? It? I don't know. We'll 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 workshop yeah, that. Yeah, we will. Um, <laughs> so I am ready now to get into the top five scenes of the original trilogy. Do you want to just go five forward swap? Five. Let's okay. do it. I want to go first. You go. I, I do want to go stop first. That. You go first. But I want you to reveal the number one. I'll do my number one. Then you do your number one because I know what your number one is. So okay. we're going top five scenes, moments from the original trilogy, all you sweets. Buckle down. This is the tail end. This is your trench run. We're almost there. Oh, I love that. What a great analogy right mm-hmm. there. My number five is Slave Leia. Just Slave Leia. Just it's not Slave <laughs> oh Leia. It's, um, it's, it's the scene in Empire Strikes Back when uh, the bounty hunters are being introduced and Darth Vader goes over to... Um, uh, Boba Fett, and it was like, and this time, no incinerations. It's just so cool, because, like, you've got Bosk, you've got IG-88, you've got um, uh, Boba Fett, 
They just look so cool. Freaking Bosk looks so cool in that. There's some clean bounty hunters. Oh, yeah, and they're in, like, the, the just, like, um... Sky City? Like, no, they're, well, yeah, but they're in, like, the room where it's, like, all metal and just seems so, like, hardcore. So that's my number five. You're not hardcore, unless you live Sl- hardcore. Unless you live hardcore. <laughs> slave Leia. Where's that from? <laughs> what is what the from? Slave Leia. I was just doing it in like a like a let me buy your bath water kind of guy voice. I'm dead. That's all. I am That's dead. all that was. All right. Well, my number five is the trench run. Speaking of trench run, the Han Solo swoop that shoots in, saves Ooh. the day, just a clean fun surprise. Oh, love that moment. And Han Solo's like, "Go get him, kid." Love it. Oh, that's a great... Gosh dang it. See, there's so many. There's so many. You could do 10, but we're doing five. Yeah. You could... I think 10 would be like the most... You could maybe do 15. You could push 15. Yeah, we could push 15. So that's my number five. I love that. My number four is as in the fir- in A New Hope when um, they're all in the Millennium Falcon and they've come out of light speed and they're getting pulled in and they're like, oh, what, what is that? This, this, this moon... They're talking about it being a moon, and you just hear Alec Guinness. That's no moon. <laughs> That's no moon. And it's the Death Star, like your first introduction to how huge the Death Star is. Like comparing it to the size of a moon really helps you realize, like, oh my gosh, this thing is ginormous. Huge. Absolutely ginormous. Huge. Dang, I like that. That's a good. So, that's a good one. Good number four. My my yeah. number four. Another back to back Han Solo is Han mm-hmm. Solo saying, "I know," in response to Leia saying, "I love oh. you." Oh. Just right, right before the carbonite freeze. Iconic. I know. Sheesh. I think I, your list and, is heavy hitters. Um, if I'm not mistaken, they wanted Han Solo to say, I love you back. However, that's not Han Solo-esque. It's for him. It mm-hmm. just makes sense for him to just be like, I know, with that swagger, that confidence. Oh, just a cold-blooded killer. Yeah. I love that. Great scene. I know. Oh, house just that's great my number three and this is to go back to that drip reference baby this is not a scene this is just luke in the all black with the green lightsaber with the little white lapel that's folded forward on that suit just get out of my head oh. this is my number three when our no it is when not r2d2 releases luke's lightsaber in wake of the sarlacc battle and we get our first jedi flip baby we get the jedi flip oh I'm just, I'm just like melting that, in that, my scene because at that time they actually had like a stunt team where they could do stunts. It, it's not just Alec Guinness weirdly waving yeah, a lightsaber. And he just he steps off the diving board and then the plank and then gets himself up. Jedi flip, baby, gets the lightsaber. Mm-hmm. It's green. <laughs> there's a um, there's a deleted scene where like the beginning of the movie was supposed to be Luke like building his lightsaber. Oh, but that'd be cool. Uh, you can you can watch the scene if you just Google it. Cool. Just watch it on YouTube. Okay. Oh, that num. What a great idea for that number three. Now my number two is maybe a little bit dark, but I just think this shot is sweet of the very end of Empire when it's Luke and Leia and C three PO and R two D two and they're just like staring blankly into space while they're on. Just one of the cruisers. It's it seems so dark, but at the same time, the music playing feels hopeful. It's like okay, we've hit rock bottom. There's only one way to go, and it's up. And just them looking off, like okay, what's the next step? How do we got to win? Love that. And it's oh, I love that scene. That's clean. 
Um, I, I know what it. your number one is. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna. Sk- well, I'm just gonna say it. My number two is Binary Sunset. Oh, just, just so clean, just so sweet. Okay, just the music coming in, the theme, motif. Um, but I'm gonna go with my number one real quick. Is that okay? Because I want you to round out. Okay. So go through my number one. one is the Battle is of Hoth. I love the Battle oh, of Hoth. Oh, okay. And especially, specifically when Luke repels himself up on ATAT, uses lightsaber to cut open the vent. Let's go. Pops a grenade. That is classic action. That is Legolas and the Elephant type move right there. Inspired by that move by Legolas was inspired by this Battle of the Hoth. I'm convinced. So I love that moment. Got to be. I think Battle of Hoth is so cool. So that that is my five favorite scenes. That's true. Another honorable mention real quick since I'm on the subject. When they go to Sky City mm-hmm. and Lando first meets Leia, that's hilarious. I know. Lando's hilarious. When you like just get Lando and Han yeah. going back yeah, and the forth. Yeah, the banter like, is so good. This is very te- This is so tense. And then you realize. They're kidding. Oh, yeah, all right. Yeah. Okay. That's I fun. like that scene as well. All so right. that's another honorable mention. Thank goodness. Anyways, Keeks, finish um, us off. Yeah, I think the binary sunset. I think it's the best, just scene in the history of movies. It's so like it conveys so many emotions at once. Where Luke is just like, like it's almost like his life. Like, where's he gonna go? But at the same time, this this new life is coming into the horizon as well. He just doesn't know, and his life is gonna change literally forever. Oh my, just, you're doing the pose right now. I love it. Just the knee up. So good, dude. I, I, I seriously, I just like will sometimes pop that on YouTube and watch it like four or five times. Just, just to set the mood for the night. It's perfect. Just reflect on your day. It is a perfect scene. I know that, that's just, I have a, a, a painting of that in my house, in my apartment. So I just like stand on one knee. Do you really? As I play that music. Oh, no, okay. Kidding. Well, you need it. You I'd you need to, that. Though. That'll be a goal, yes. dude. Yes. Put that in your office. Oh. Future office. I will. Skinwalker Our office. Stop, please. Yes. Skinwalker Productions. <laughs> SFT. <laughs> Skinwalker. <laughs> um, well, everybody, all you sweets, that is your original trilogy, movie morsel galore, all the background to Star Wars original trilogy. If you have not rewatched the original trilogy, if it's been a while, turn that bad boy on. It is on Disney Plus, high definition, unreal. Oh, just, if you don't have Disney Plus, hit us up. We'll give you our login yeah. so you can. And watch I, it. I, I want to say I appreciate my boy, the Sweet Keeks, as always, the most energetic person I know when it comes to Star Wars, and just the the sweetest there is. Love the Sweet Keeks. I- I cannot think of a better person to do this with than you because before The Last Jedi came out, you and me, we watched all of the original trilogies. We watched the prequels. The prequels. (laughs) We did. And just to get ready. We did. And it was an absolute blast to be like, wow, these movies are crazy good. Yeah. I mean, executed almost flawlessly from beginning to end. George Lucas, it's just... He he will he will live on forever. Yeah. Yep. Forever and ever. It's crazy. So all I know is love Star Wars, love all the moments. We could we could have added 15 more scenes and moments that we love from original trilogy, but those are our personal mm-hmm. top five. 
Um, after you listen to this take, we you know we want to hear what you guys think. What some of your favorite moments are? Yeah. We might we might we might slap a post up. We'll see. Yeah, maybe, maybe we will. Maybe we'll see week. if we make yeah, something. Maybe for May the 4th. Get a little story. <laughs> get some more interaction. We love all you sweets and all that you do for us. Couldn't, couldn't yes, do without can. you. You know? We, we probably actually would Everyone. still be doing it. <laughs> but we love the support. Yeah, we, <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. We love just talking to each other about movies. Yeah. But everyone, uh, you know what take 83 is going to be. It is IMDb 250. We teased it in the last take. This is Star Wars May baby. the 4th. Stay sweet, and may the fourth be with you. Sweet. Sweet.